Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manesh. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by The Secrets of Successful Syndication. If you've exhausted your own funds to invest in real estate, you've just brought your own investment career to a halt. Developing the skill to raise capital legally, reliably, and professionally might be just what you need to unlock the ceiling to your investment portfolio. This two-day workshop maps out how to transform your business into one where you enlist the help and capital of others to scale your portfolio. It's hosted by my good friends Robert Helms and Russell Gray of the Real Estate Guys radio show. They're such a class act. For every 15th and 16th in Dallas, Texas, it'll be a chance for us to meet in person as well. For more information, go to victorjm.com slash events. That's victorjm.com slash events. And click on the link for the secrets of successful syndication. We are back here on the weekend edition. We have a great guest this weekend all the way from Atlanta. He's the host of the nationally syndicated Think Realty radio show. He's an investor. He's got one of the most innovative strategies you're going to hear about in a minute. Welcome to the show, Abby Goller. Victor, thanks for having me. So, Abby... You're doing some pretty neat stuff. And what I love about real estate is there's so many different ways to make money. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But before we do, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory? How did you get into this crazy world of real estate investing? It definitely is a very crazy world. <laughs> we, uh, it's, it's interesting. I feel like um, every single day there's always something new that pops up. And folks that think that it's always uh, sunshine and roses and, and, uh, and blue skies, well, eh, this should be a wake-up call. That's definitely not true. And, and the reality of what you see on TV is, quite frankly, not real. That being said, uh, I started back in 2002 through 2003 doing flips in inner city Detroit and really failed with that, quite frankly. And I didn't do well. Uh, I didn't know how to manage contractors. I didn't understand the vocabulary of real estate. I didn't have the right mentors in my life. And for anybody that kind of knows how old I am, I'm 34 years old, which means that I started investing by myself, raising my own cash by buying and selling uh, cars on eBay. And I did this by myself. This was inner city Detroit when I was 18 or 19 years old. Going back and forth between Ann Arbor, where I was studying electrical engineering at the time at Michigan, and going to Detroit, it was a very interesting experience for me, chastised by all my peers during, during the college days. They're like, you should be focused on studying. What are you doing? And I just had a different vision for what I wanted in my future. But that's how I got started. It was a very interesting experience. I learned a lot about uh, rental renovations versus um, heavy renovations for the retail flip to homeowners. And I cut my teeth uh, back in inner city Detroit. And then ultimately I moved to, I moved around the Midwest a little bit, moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. And I was working with a mentor of mine there by the name of Andy Vu. And he taught me how to overcome my fear of real estate at that point. <laughs> by knocking on doors in Lincoln, Nebraska. So that's what I did, overcame my fear. I then moved to Wentzville, Missouri, and then ultimately St. Louis, Missouri. I learned how to develop real estate with another one of my mentors, David and Paul, and that was real estate development and subsequently new construction. I was there until 2007, Labor Day 2007. I moved from Missouri to Atlanta, Georgia, where I now live. And my fund, my multifamily fund, uh, invests in operators in the Southeast. It's called Summit and Crown. 
And like you mentioned, I have a radio show and it's so much fun doing that. I meet amazing people like you, Victor, and uh, just really hope to connect and spread the word that you have to pay attention, be diligent in your investing strategy, and ultimately understand who you are as an investor. Otherwise, there are plenty of people to tell you who you are and what you should invest in. Yes, indeed. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that being on a or hosting a radio show, what a difference it makes. And it's really true. In fact, I was at a community meeting last night. And if I wasn't hosting a show, I would not have actually gone up and had a conversation recorded, of course, uh, you know, with city councilors, with heads of the community association. Uh, and the relationship building that that precipitates is extraordinary. It wouldn't happen if I wasn't hosting a show. I completely agree. So if you're listening and you want to get immediate notoriety, uh, like Victor and I, and I, and I have, uh, more so Victor than me, I feel like I'm just, uh, I'm the young buck trying to be like Victor. That's kind of who I want to be. Oh, like that's hardly up. the case. Um, <laughs> but I just go out and get your own radio show or go out and get a podcast and, you know, have George Ross as a co-host. Like that's just, you know, go do that. And then you'll get it. You'll get invited to all these awesome things. So fast forward to what you're doing now in Atlanta. You're doing some, of course, the multifamily work, uh, but you're also doing mm -hmm. some interesting work in uh, distressed properties. I am. I love distressed properties. I love tax liens. Uh, I love the probate world, uh, going through probate records, working with homeowners in distress. Um, and we're looking at also now secondary markets across the Southeast, for example, Chattanooga, example, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, example, Huntsville, Alabama. These types of markets right now are ripe and rich for opportunity. This is where if you pay attention to the secondary markets, institutional money, institutional uh, hedge funds, these kind of folks that have a lot of money, we talk about Chinese money, Japanese money, they will look at some secondary markets, but then overlook others. Right now, secondary tertiary markets are a big play. In Atlanta, I'm very focused on multifamily distressed assets. I'm also very focused on mobile home parks. Uh, we just completed a couple of acquisitions uh, this year alone. We've done currently four. Uh, should be our biggest year yet. Really, really excited about that. And then my partners and I decided to create a fund so we can open up some of these opportunities uh, to folks that, well, you know, you're approached by operators all the time. How do you know an operator is a good one? Uh, like Victor, who has a lot of access. Um, I have a lot of access in the multifamily space and we take a look at which operators make sense and which ones don't. And that's what the fund is geared toward, finding the right operators, getting the return and doing so in a very painless, easy to understand format. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of investors get stuck on, especially when they're starting out. They think they have to do it all themselves and your focus isn't on necessarily performing the boots on the groundwork and the transactions, perhaps like uh, you might have done early on in, in Detroit, you're focusing on finding the right teams because uh, at the end of the day, business is a team sport. How do you vet those teams? How do you make sure that you're working with the right people? Yeah, and a great question. And I must also say this too, Victor, is if you meet me in person, you'll know why I don't do the hard you know, the hard laborious work. I'm five foot five and 120 pounds. Like I know what a sledgehammer looks like. I'm not going to pick one up. I mean, I have enough of a hard time picking up five pound dumbbells to do bicep curls. And my trainer's yelling at me. He's like, this girl over here is picking up 20 pound dumbbells and you're picking up five. What's wrong, right? Like what's wrong with you? You're like a very abnormal individual. 
In terms of operators that the fund invests in, we're looking for a couple of qualities. And they're all very important qualities. First, do you as an operator have a proven experience level? Have you done more than five, six, seven deals? I want to know you've been in business for a while. Number two, what are your values? Are you just in it to make money or are you in it to really create impact for your communities and help educate your communities and make them feel important? Number three, are you using an institutional level of financial reporting, right? Here's where the rubber meets the road for me. If you're going to send me a, an Excel spreadsheet of how everything looks and that's just how you've been reporting, sorry, I'm not interested in a ma-and-pa level of reporting here. I want an experienced crew with institutional level of reporting. Most importantly, above all, you must have in-house management. Not a lot of folks agree with me on that. There are a lot of syndicators right now, and Victor, you know this too, there are a lot of syndicators that are just raising capital for other people's deals, and they're saying, yeah, of course, management's going to be great. It's all outsourced to this XYZ property management company that's going to come in. It's going to be great. They're tried, proven history. No, sorry, it doesn't cut it for me. I'm not interested with operators of multifamily projects having a buck stops their mentality. Right? I want to know at bottom line that you have control of your investment. Now, does that mean operators will generally do less? Are we focused on operators that aren't doing a crazy volume? Absolutely. I'm looking for a very boutique operator that understands his or her local market and that needs capital, that's raising capital. But more importantly, they have control of their project and that is very rare to find and there are a lot of investors victor that will say well geez you know i want to do this myself and i'm going to outsource all the management and things like this listen if that's what you're looking to do just stick to what is giving you earned income right now let victor let people like victor let people like me help you understand how you can increase your passive cash flow and keep doing what you're doing best. I had a great conversation with a, with a Delta Airlines pilot very recently, and I said, are you going to quit flying so you can invest in real estate, right? And he's like, I never thought of it that way before. But that's where a lot of folks end up going or considering. They're like, I'm going to leave my 150,000 or $130,000 a year job, your accredited investors um, that are making even more than 200, $250,000 and saying, I'm just going to be a full-time real estate investor. The likelihood that you actually should do that, probably slim, right? Earn money and then understand how to make your money work hard for you by leveraging other people like myself, like Victor, like people that you trust. You know, you've brought up some really good points. And I think one of the things that we've seen in our experience is when you have management teams that are not up to par, absolutely bringing that management function in-house is definitely a step up and we've done that in a lot of circumstances what we've also found however is when you go to the larger projects uh, we've actually found that working with some of the national like really tier one management companies like sunridge management folks like that um, has actually been a good experience in fact some lenders actually insist upon it uh, they don't want things they they actually perceive more risk if it's self-managed or managed in-house they want someone that has 12 15 20 000 doors under management. And at that level, they have confidence it's going to be managed properly. Exactly. I mean, you have to pick your battles there too, right? And you take a look at somebody like Sunridge, they have the history, 
they have the technology, they have the people, and most importantly, they have the ability to help an operator level up. Uh, we're just looking for a little bit of a different operator, right? We're not looking for an operator that's doing thousands and thousands of doors a year. Um, so when it comes to that, though, what you're saying, totally 100% on board, right? Like if you go to Bank of America or if you go to Wells or if you go to Chase or any of these big boys uh, and big girls and you ask them for funding, they will want to see, like it, it is a requirement, right? Like check Sunridge or check um, another national tier one you're doing amazing work because that's the bread and butter cookie cutter business uh, property management service because they don't believe that the operators themselves will be able to manage it. And quite frankly, most operators don't, right? Like, let's be honest. It's like a, it's like a doctor trying to scale a medical practice. The likelihood of that actually happening. It's very low. Yeah, very, it's very unlikely. Low. Yeah. Right. The, the doctor's really good at healing patients and seeing patients and diagnosing all this stuff and blah, right? Like that's what the doctor is really good at, but not when it comes to business. The same thing with contractors. Contractors themselves by default know how to build a house or they know how to repair a unit, but they don't know how to build a business. They're really good in their craft, but they're not good in building a business. So completely agree. I mean, if you're on a stratospheric uh, level, then you need that tier one national. Um, if you're not and you're working with maybe a couple hundred uh, units a year, more boutique then it isn't necessary. But I, I agree. It just depends on which level you want to play on. Let's talk a little bit about your tax liens. You know, when you and I met uh, a couple of months ago and we talked about this, it was uh, very intriguing to me and uh, what yep. you were doing. So let's dive into that one a little bit more. Victor, I really don't want to give out any of my secrets with tax liens. Um, Fair enough. I'm, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do it. I just wanted to make that awkward for you. I, I, I enjoyed it. So tax liens are very interesting. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't want you to not pay your taxes. Uh, what I am saying is I don't want you to pay your taxes. So here's the way that, here's the way that it works. And by taxes, I mean property taxes. Every state has a different law. Every state works differently. But Georgia, I can talk to Georgia pretty intelligently. If I purchase a lien, okay, there's a difference between a lien and a deed. A lien at this point is just you're paying off somebody's property taxes, okay? They, they are absentee owners. They haven't been in the picture in a couple of years. And you found the list. It's all public record. You can go and type in Fulton County tax lien list into Google and you'll find all the tax liens that are here in Fulton County in Georgia. So you do your research, you do a title search, et cetera, and you see if there are any other liens on this property. If you decide that the property, the property itself, the, the actual home address is worth it, purchase the tax lien. The moment that you purchase the tax lien, not the deed, the moment that you purchase the tax lien, in Georgia, you start accruing 1% a month in interest, effectively 12% a year. Now, you have a couple of options. First option is you can take the tax lien and you can take that um, to the sheriff's sale in the event the homeowner doesn't pay it back or pay you back. So if the homeowner reaches out after you've purchased the tax lien, effectively paying off the homeowner's property taxes, you are now in the controlling driver's seat here. They have to pay you the amount they owe plus 12% a year. 
Okay, and you can hold on to that tax lien for as long as you would like, and you will accrue that at 12% a year. It is fantastic. So worst case scenario, listen, if you don't trust anybody that you've given your money to to flip property or you're not seeing your rental returns, invest in a tax lien. Understand your local laws, it makes sense. Now on the flip side, if homeowners do not pay you back, what you have the ability to do is to take that to a sheriff's sale. Now, at the sheriff's sale, if there's a lot of bidding on your tax lien and it is sold, then you no longer have the tax lien, right? It is transferred to the new owner, but you get your principal plus your interest back. Now, if you are working with somebody and that somebody purchased the tax lien at the, uh, at the courthouse steps, effectively at that point making it a tax deed in the state of Georgia, then what happens is something very interesting. You have a one year and one or two day, I can't remember exactly, but it's, it's like a one year, one day clock that starts. Now, within the one year, one day, you have the opportunity to, and, and that's the one year, one day redemption period uh, that the homeowner has to still pay you back, okay? But at that point, it now goes up to 20% in return. So at this point, you have two different scenarios. Scenario number one, the homeowner pays you back. They owe you the 12% for year number one, and then uh, the 20% um, year after year should you decide to hold on to now what is a tax deed. If the homeowner does not pay you back, last scenario here, you have the ability to foreclose on the property only after you do a, uh, only after you quiet it. Okay, so you go through the foreclosure process, and in one year, one day, the property can become yours. That's essentially pennies on the dollar. So we have, in Atlanta, we've initiated the strategy. We've been buying tax liens uh, since January of 2018. We've been buying at a pretty nice clip, and we're excited uh, to see what the opportunity, uh, or how the opportunity this year presents itself, how many of these uh, tax liens we'll actually end up with, and, and then how many of those tax liens convert to tax deeds, and how many of those then we actually end up with. But from my perspective, worst case scenario, the homeowner pays me back. Best case scenario, the property is mine. I love that. Again, you know, there's so many fascinating ways to make money in real estate. And even in our business, we've acquired a number of properties through the tax deed process. The rate of redemption period is something that's extremely important to pay attention to. There are some legal pitfalls. I know, for example, in Philadelphia, uh, where we've purchased a lot of tax deeds, if the sheriff's office doesn't do a good job of serving the homeowner, that right of redemption period can extend not just from one year, but can actually extend to 21 years. So you got to do your yes. due diligence and make sure that's done properly. But it's a great, great way. Abi, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? I would say go to abigolhar.com. That's A-B-H-I-G-O-L-H-A-R.com. I've written a couple of books. If you want a copy of all these books for free, just for Victor's audience, because I know he's doing such an awesome job and providing value on a very regular basis to his audience, uh, just email me at hello at abigolhar.com and uh, we'll make sure to get you a digital copy of the books. So that's my spiel. Awesome. Well, folks, for the listeners at home, definitely check out Abby at abigolhar.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>